This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with David Burns, who's the author of the book Feeling Good and also hosts the Feeling Good podcast. He sold over 5 million copies of the book and he is one of the main reasons why CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is now mainstream and is becoming more and more popular over the years. David, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm tickled and excited to be here. So there's lots of things that I want to talk about, loads of things that I think are important, but you've gone on quite the journey yourself, having helped people through drugs in some ways, but then you stepped away from that to go drug-free in terms of the treatments and interventions that a lot of the people that you've worked with over the years have come to you for. You've gone from drugs to drug-free. So talk to us a bit about why you made that transition and what was the main reason why you went drug-free instead of sticking to what you were doing previously? Yeah, well, the, there were two two big reasons. One had to do with this theory that depression results from a chemical imbalance in the brain, and the other had to do with what's what's an effective treatment? Do, <clears throat> do the antidepressants really work? And I was uh, doing finishing my training at, at Penn Medical School in Philadelphia, and we we published a study in the top psychiatric journal. I was it was my first publication. I was just the third author on it, but I I actually wrote the article, and the article showed very clearly. It seemed to provide proof that this happy chemical serotonin actually had no role in depression, and. Uh, the, the article went into the top psychiatric journal and went largely unnoticed for 25 years. It's been getting, finally getting recognition. And just this week, uh, uh, an article came out in the prestigious journal Nature, finally saying that there's never been any evidence that serotonin or chemical imbalance is the cause of of depression. It took wow. the field forty years to to catch up with that. But I I had one, I was winning awards then for my research on brain serotonin metabolism, and I was supposed to stay on this faculty full time. And uh, I had a grant to develop a brain serotonin research laboratory at the medical school, but I did not want to spend my life doing research on something that I knew would never go, go anywhere. Uh, and, and my advisor said, don't, uh, don't leave the university. Don't leave your position. You've got a fabulous career ahead of you. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do that in my gut. And then uh, I also knew that I was giving out antidepressants by by the bucketful and we had one of the top i'd say we had there one of the three top psychopharmacology teams in the world and i don't remember any of my patients getting better from antidepressants uh, occasionally they'd get a little better but it was rare and uh, they were never really going from worthlessness to joy and waking up and saying it's it's great to be alive and that's that's what i 
wanted for for my patients. Yeah, and uh, I, 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 those were the the two things. And then I heard uh, our department chairman said, "Hey, you ought to check out this uh, Aaron Beck's uh, got this new thing, cognitive therapy, and it's a little kooky, but." He's claiming you can treat depression without medications. It has to do with negative thinking patterns. And uh, I said, oh, that doesn't make sense. That's You can't cure the kind of people I'm treating by changing their thinking. That's some pop psychology deal. So I went to his weekly seminar just to prove to myself that his techniques would not work. Uh, it was kind of like a research thing to check this avenue out. And then once you've proven it doesn't work, you can, you know, stop going to his weekly seminar. And then I, I tried it on a lot of my very severe patients and they started uh, turning the corner on depression right away. And they loved the techniques and they said, we want more of this. And I was kind of shocked. And I thought, well, Maybe it's just because it's new or because I'm enthusiastic or it's a placebo effect or something, but it kept working. And then I realized that it's working in the way it's supposed to work because I'm learning to change these negative thoughts when people are depressed or saying I'm not good enough and I'm inferior and I'm not smart enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm unloved. I must be unlovable. I'm worthless and showing them how to how to crush these negative thinking patterns and i got really excited i said there is really something here and so i sent the money back to the federal government that i had the, the grant money that i had and i left the university and i said i'll stay on the voluntary faculty if you like and i'll donate time teaching each year but i'm gonna build my private practice and that 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 was the best decision I made 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 in my life. But it was so hard because I was under so much pressure. They said, "You'll never do research again if you do that. You're burning bridges. This is a bad de decision." But it really uh, it was really great. And then once I started my practice, I had extra time because I didn't have many patients at first. And so I I, I said, "I think I'll write a book for patients." Uh, Beck was writing a textbook for therapists how to do this, and I said, "Well, y you can you do that one, but I I think our patients need a, their own textbook so that they I wouldn't have to explain things in session so much, and I could just individualize the therapy for each patient." And that's why I wrote "Feeling Good," and the uh, publisher it was terribly hard getting it published and then uh, i finally got it published but the publisher didn't believe in it my editor said that the president of the the company was william morrow said that he 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 didn't believe there was any commercial potential for the book so they weren't going to support it and uh, so i didn't have any marketing or advertising for it but it just kept selling out and they'd print a few thousand more and it would sell out they'd print a few thousand more and then in 1988 they finally got on a national tv show and it became went to number two on the new york times bestseller list overnight after the show and uh, and that really put cognitive therapy on the map and then it became uh, researched it's the, now it's the most researched form of therapy and the most widely used form of therapy in the world. When when I first started doing it, there were only five or six of us going to Beck's weekly seminar. 
But now I've evolved to new, newer techniques. Uh, I still use the cognitive therapy, but I have uh, kind of, you might say, that was a Model T Ford, and now we have a, uh, a Ferrari or something like that. We've Im improved it uh, tremendously. And now, I, uh, I, in fact, I've even developed a, an electronic version of myself that can cure depression for most people in one day. And wow. We're, and we're going to uh, uh, it's, it's an app I'm working on with, with with some friends. So it's 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 an exciting time. And uh, now we're back in California and where, where my wife was born and where I went to medical school at Stanford and um, just having having a whole whole lot of fun. I'm going to be 80 in two or three weeks and I'm the busiest I've ever been. And I think this is the most productive time of my life. Wow, that's that must be quite interesting for you to have access to multiple different versions of treatment for things like depression, and yet CBT had more measurable results. Did you test it? Did you put people in scans and things to actually see the results? So you were able to disprove things like the placebo effect and, and all those kinds of things that you mentioned before? Yes, there's, CBT is the most researched form of psychotherapy in human history, and there's probably, I would say, tens of thousands of research publications of various kinds, including <clears throat> outcome studies. But the outcome studies for, for cognitive therapy, it's, it's accepted as the gold standard in the treatment of depression, and it's always been about as effective or a bit more effective than antidepressants. There is no form of psychotherapy that's uh, uh, better. But if you really look at the outcome literature critically, uh, all the forms of psychotherapy and antidepressants come out about the same. And, and what you see is 50% of people getting 50% better on depression tests in maybe three months or <clears throat> however long these tests go on. And I, I've been, I, I've always said that that's not good enough. You know, that, that means half the people didn't even get half better. And the ones who got better only got half better. If you see what, see what I mean. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, I said, there, there's still some problems with psychotherapy. It's not working for everybody. And that's why I developed the new team therapy at Stanford and, uh, uh, and we're doing research on it uh, all the time, but I'm researching the electronic version of it. And I, I'm working with a group at Stanford uh, uh, to, to develop uh, a, 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 an outcome, a random control outcome study. But the, the studies that we've done, we've tested hundreds of people with this new electronic version of Team CBT and uh, it, it does more for people in one day than antidepressants can do for people in a year or psychotherapists can do for people in, in a year. Um, also, there's been a tremendous amount of research on my first book, Feeling Good. There have been roughly eight or 10 controlled outcome studies just treating people by handing them a copy of the book, Feeling Good. And so if anyone's listening to the show and you're depressed and or you have a loved one who's depressed, you can, I'm sure you can still get that book, uh, you know, on Amazon or any bookstore. 
And those studies have shown that 50 to 65% of the people you hand the book to, if they're moderately or severely depressed, within four weeks, they'll be radically improved and not need any any type of treatment. That's why I built the app, because I thought, wow, if my book alone is outperforming really what I can do clinically, my book was better than I was. (laughs) And and I said, well, I bet an app could be even way better than that. So that's why I've been developing this new Feeling Good app. Although we're kind of angry because a British team is is, uh, copying me and they they call theirs the Feeling Good app. And so people are getting confused. So we're going to try to clear that up. uh, Well, it must be weird for you then. Like having, having a book outperform where you were at in your clinical practice and obviously your your studying and all, all those kinds of things just didn't match up to what you were able to do through writing and yet your aim is to 10 or 20x that virtually is that something that you attribute to yourself is it something that you're simply able to notice that other people can't or do you use things like ai and things like that how do you see it progressing we're not not using ai we're using artificial ai we're pretending to be ai but it's just me talking to people the same way i talk to 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 my patients Uh, that that's that's how we do it with the app but uh my my skills have evolved tremendously over the years because I measure symptoms at the start and end of every therapy session. How are you feeling at this moment? So I can see how depressed people are when they come in for a session, and I can see how depressed they are at the end of the session. And that has, that has taught me those scales that I've developed, and then they rate me how empathic was I during the session? How helpful was I? This type of thing. And those scales are very sensitive and have my patients have taught me tremendously because I've had sessions that I thought were just brilliant. And then at the end, I found the patient was suicidal and filled with anger and I'd completely missed the boat. And then the next session, I can talk to that patient, say, tell me where I, how I screwed up and where I didn't get you, and then we can get on to a much deeper level. And I've had many sessions I thought I stunk up the place, and then the feedback, the patient said this was a life-changing session today. And so I've kind of learned from my patients how what the secrets of high-speed effective therapy are. And now when I work with people in person, I generally do two-hour sessions, and I can usually complete a course of psychotherapy for depression or anxiety in one session. And then if they need a tune-up or something, they're always welcome to, to do that, but that usually is not necessary. And so that's what we're trying to teach the uh, the app to be able to do that. I, I don't think the app is going to get quite up to the level I'm at right now, but it's getting pretty close to that. And uh, I, and I'm excited about the app because I, I, I've taught over you know 50,000 therapists in the United States in workshops over the past 30 years, but it's hard for therapists to learn new things because they they join what are called schools of therapy and they get 
thinking they know something and they do what they're taught to do, which usually isn't very effective. And one of my motives for building the app is, is, is that the, the computer will do what you tell it to do. Humans often won't. And, and so uh, I, I, I'm very excited because also you see an app like what we have can be made available to people all around the world very uh very inexpensively uh, and and so it's it would provide hope i think and help help for people who just don't have access to to, to good treatment do you find that things like being empathetic is something that we would all benefit from even if we didn't try to use it to help people almost like the better we can put ourselves in other people's shoes the more beneficial that we can be and in, in navigating this thing called life this story this game this experiment that we're all thrown into is that something that you think would would be helpful for people a absolutely uh, and i've i have another book on that those are very different techniques uh, and i have a book called feeling good together that has something i call the five secrets of effective communication and a lot of it is focused on what you're saying right now how how to see the world through another person's eyes not not just in a therapy situation uh, situation but but in all of life and th that's actually much more difficult for people to learn than the than the the feeling good tools to get over depression or anxiety that and and p part of the reason is is because what when we're in conflict say with a loved one or somebody on the other side of the political chasm or you know someone you're arg arguing with we we almost always blame the other person for the problem and Blame is is kind of addictive, but uh, I, I did some research early in my career on the actual causes of, of marital conflict, and uh, I, I worked with a mainframe computer. This was before we had the powerful computers we we have at home, and uh, I, I I worked with a graduate student at University of Pennsylvania, and we we, we trained the computer to test like a thousand hypotheses a minute about the, the causes of marital uh, problems. We, we had a large database of both partners and their attitudes and, and beliefs about things. And I thought the computer would come up with all kinds of complicated equations that I could predict and analyze marital problems. And the computer said that all of the theories it had generated and tested uh, were false. And that there was only one cause of marital problems and relationship problems, and so that that problem that problem is is blame. Wow. Uh, that uh, almost everyone who's not getting along with someone blames that other person and is totally convinced that they're that's correct. But the computer said the problem isn't that they're blame that that the other person is to blame. The problem is that you're blaming them and not looking at your own role in the problem. Mm. And and that involves what the Buddha called the great death 2,500 years ago, the death of the self, the prideful self, to see how you're contributing to, 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 to the problem. And uh, uh, so what, what the answer to your question is, is yes, that is the greatest problem in the world, uh, you know, 
in America, it's getting terrible right now. And it's probably pretty bad in England at times, too, with all all of this conservative, fascist kinds of stuff and and, uh, hatred uh, going going around and people being so, so convinced that they're right and everyone else is wrong and that uh, they're innocent and everyone else is, is is bad and that makes people high that that kind of that kind of thinking but it, uh, it it never leads us out of anger and violence it just gets us more deeply enmeshed but yes i do a lot of work in that area but it's harder it's more challenging because of this addictive blame component and over the years you know i've learned wow the computer you wouldn't think you'd need a computer to learn about love uh, or 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 getting along with others but that the computer had actually nailed it Uh, i'm sure you you know what i'm talking about and the listeners know what i'm talking about you just think of anybody you don't get along with and ask yourself you know who's the bigger jerk who's to blame and Everyone will say, oh, it's the other person. And as long as you maintain that belief, and the other person probably is screwing up, but you're, what it's, it's how, how you're contributing to the problem. I, I can give you an example if, if you want. I'm probably talking too yeah, much. Yeah, sure, go I, for it. I love your questions. This is a simplistic example of, of what I'm saying. I did a workshop in Sacramento sponsored by a, a hospital they want me to do something for the general public and on, on a Saturday morning in a gymnasium. Uh, and so it was something on uh, dealing with, with difficult people. And I, I asked the audience to, to think of someone you don't get along with and, and just write down one thing that person said to you and exactly what you said next, because that's all you need to analyze a troubled marriage or any troubled relationship, all the causes will be embedded in one simple exchange. And uh, and then once you've analyzed the cause, then you can learn how to change so you can get close, close to that person. So they all were busy writing down, here's what the other person said, and here's what I said next. And then I said, okay, now who, who of you would like to tell us about the difficult person in your life? And this woman in the front row was wagging her hands and call on me, call on, call on me. <laughs> yeah. So I called on her and said, okay, who, who's the difficult person in, in, in your life? And uh, she, she said, uh, oh, oh, my husband, uh, uh, he, he's been criticizing me for, for, for 25 years, ever since we, we got married. And I came to this workshop to find out why are men like that? (laughs) And I said, we don't know. Scientists don't know why men are the way they are. And we don't know why women are the way they are. But uh, if you tell me what you wrote down on that piece of paper, maybe we can see what's going on in in your your marriage. You know, uh, so when your husband criticizes you, what does he say? And she said, Oh, it's the same thing he's been saying for 25 years. He says, says to me, you, you never listen. So I said, okay. So you wrote down, husband says, you never listen. Now what I want to know is what exactly did you say next? And she said, oh, I just said nothing. I ignored him. 
And then the audience started laughing because they could see something. Apparently, <laughs> she couldn't see yeah. that she's causing him to, to do that. But but that's painful to to see that uh, for twenty five years you've been lonely and angry and complaining that you've got a bad marriage, and then you suddenly see, wait a minute, I've been creating this. You're you're creating your own interpersonal reality. Now, I don't want listeners to think, oh, Burns is against women or something, because if her husband had come and said, I'm not getting along with my wife, I would have said, well, what's one thing she said, and what did you say next? And then he would have found out he was entirely causing the problem. Yeah. Whoever asks for help, you can always show that you're entirely causing the, the, the problem. But if you're willing to let your ego die, you see, and she, she could say to her husband, if, if she was interested, really interested in love, she could say, you know, it's it's so painful me for me to hear what you're saying because for 25 years you've been telling me that I never listen and I've been arguing with you and blaming you and defending myself. But I suddenly see that you're right. And it's and it's painful for me because I, I love you and yet I've I've never let you open up and get close to me. And I can imagine how angry and hurt you must be feeling. T tell me what, what that's what that's been like. I'm I'm finally ready to listen. I, I, I want to hear what it's been like for you. And that in, it involves what I call the five secrets of effective communication, the, the disarming technique, seeing truth in what the person is saying, feeling empathy, acknowledging that, you know, you're probably angry and hurt and lonely. Inquiry, tell me more about that. Uh, I feel statements. I, I feel shamed to right now, what, what I've finally realized. And then in uh, stroking, I, I love you. And uh, uh, I, I'm just shocked to when I, when I look at myself and to say something like that, he would melt. If she's if it came from from the heart, but it's it's hard to do that because it means the death of herself, the the blaming, angry part, and when I have to do this my, my, myself, that uh, when I get into conflict with a student or or a colleague, and when I look at my own role, it's it's shocking to, to me. It, it 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 hurts me, but uh, when I open up and, and say that to the other person uh, they, then their defenses come down and they open up and, and we get and we get closer uh, and there there's a lot of lot of joy but uh, it, it it isn't easy for humans to do that and uh, all the great religious teachers have run into this problem Buddha uh, apparently had a hundred thousand followers or more and the rumor is, and I'm certain it's correct, that only three of his followers ever achieved enlightenment. Uh, that, you know, they loved what he was saying, but doing it, you know, letting letting the self die. He called it the, the great death, but it's also the great rebirth. But people don't want to die. We, we don't want to let go of our egos. Uh, but but that that's kind of my take on, on that. We'll, we'll be including... Um, that 
whole topic in our app once we get the depression piece nailed nailed down yeah. and and ready ready for prime time uh, but uh well, well that does kind of bring up though if yeah. if you think about it as well david what what came up for me was if both people think the other person is to blame that's where they butt heads and the way that you break that down is by accepting that you may have played a role but my head went to but what happens after that like what kind of conversation would have to be had so that you don't stay in that vulnerable state and the other person is then completely agreeing because you agree with them that you have a part to play and you essentially confirm in a way what they were thinking so in some ways you feed into the ego yeah. side if you accept your right. role in a way that they agree with you're just kind of confirming yeah. their own way of thinking in a way yeah well i love your question because that's one of the fears that keeps people trapped in blame they don't want to become vulnerable because they think oh then, then i'll be weak and the other person will take advantage of me and i actually when i'm working with patients i have uh, a uh uh, a, a list that that I give give them, and there's twelve good reasons not to listen, because part of it is listening skills, and that's one of them. If yeah. I if I mm -hmm. open up and find truth in what he's saying, he'll just uh, you know keep beating up on me and criticizing me and, and and hurting me. And then there's another one: twelve good reasons not to share your feelings, not to open up, not to be vulnerable. And then there's a third one. Uh, uh, 12 good reasons not to show love and, and, and respect things like, Oh, well, he's a jerk. He, he hasn't been ever nice to me. Why should I be ni nice to him? And it, that's that kind of, of stiff res resistance and using the uh, five secrets of effective communication uh, is a lot like learn, learning to play the piano. Uh, it, it requires tremendous determination and practice and it has to be done skillfully and if you don't do it skillfully it won't work it'll it'll backfire but if you skillfully agree with somebody it would and and acknowledge your feelings and acknowledge theirs um, it, I, i've probably used the disarming technique oh i'm sure in excess of fifty thousand times because i i use it you know on many times and every time I have a therapy session with someone and I've had yeah. over 40,000 hours of therapy with, with people, but I I've never once seen it have a, have a bad result. Uh, but I'm very practiced at it. And, uh, and, uh, uh, but 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 it's it's hard for people, and that's that that's what people are afraid of. You know, I don't want my ego to die. I don't want to acknowledge my role. We could we could do an example, or I could give you an example from a clinical practice. Um, yeah, I, I think for for people that need to understand that in that individual conversation, you may have to let an aspect of your pride go in that initial conversation but then there'd be multiple conversations that might need to be had to help sure. them potentially see their role as well so in a way you both have the the ego and pride die in in a way that's yeah, effective yeah. and helpful well the thing that happens you see and i you hear these buddhist kind of statements or it could be any kind of religious statement because it's all 
all these world's great religions are kind of trying to say much the same thing. But you don't understand what it means. And one of the ideas of Buddhism is that we're all one. And you and and I, I never understood that when I saw that. I said, how can we all be one? Like here, here's here's a hairbrush, right? And uh, this is David. Now, does David look like a hairbrush? And does the hairbrush look like David? No. So how could we all be one? That That's pure nonsense. That's how I used to think about it. So why is Buddha saying we're all one? Well, what happens, and I would understand it from my relationships with people and my clinical work, because when I let my ego die, and, um, which I had to do with a colleague just, uh, j just recently, and if you do that skillfully, that other person will die at the same time. They'll let their defenses down. And then that opens up for the possibility of, 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 of real warmth. And uh, I, I can just give you an example. Uh, when I was working uh, on, on the app, we, we have a small team, four or five people. And, uh, uh, you know, one of my uh, colleagues said that, uh, uh, you know, I, I was being kind of irritable and hard to work with on certain kind of editing sessions. And uh, when, when I heard that, uh, I, I got shocked and thought about it and realized she, she was right. And it, it was very, very painful for me. And then I, I talked it over and, uh, uh, and, and it, she seemed to be very, very grateful. Uh, uh, when I, when I opened up and, and showed myself self to be human. And then she told me, uh, about an interaction uh, with, with her son recently. Uh, and uh, I, I won't give you the details, although I think it would be okay because she said we can use her story in the in the app, but her 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 son told her something intensely private. And uh, when she heard it, she she was shocked and and kind of, Try, try to ch change him in a way that it's not possible to to change a person. And he was profoundly hurt. And then when she uh, realized that, she started beating up on herself and felt guilty and ashamed for for letting him down at his most vulnerable moment as as a parent. Yeah. And then I helped her work that through and get over it, which di didn't didn't take long it took about five minutes really and 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 then she went back and had a talk with her son and and got so much closer to to him but you see when i acknowledged my failure with her then then she felt close to me and then she told me something do you, do, do you see and then it yeah. was infectious and then that allowed her to get cl closer to her so i failed her she she failed her, her son that, that that's the kind of thing that that can happen if you do it skill skillfully um, and and that 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 puts you in a new kind of relationship now that doesn't mean you'll never get crabby again but it it gives you a path to get back to caring warm loving relationships whenever you drift out of enlightenment and the Buddha said that too, that we are constantly drifting in and out of enlightenment. And when I heard that, I didn't know what it meant. 
it sounded nonsensical again. And then I thought, no, that's what really happens, both in relationships. We get loving and close, and we think, oh, this is so great. I'll feel loving and close and open forever. And and then all of a sudden, you drift out of enlightenment. And it's the same with, with, with depression. Uh, when I treat people, uh, I show them how to go from despair to joy quickly. Ge generally, you know, with the app, you can do it. Most people do it in, in less than a day. And, and if I'm working with people live, I can do it in usually in less than two hours. Uh, but th then I tell them, you know, you won't feel like this forever. These no. <laughs> negative thoughts are going to creep back in. Yeah. And so let's practice how you're going to hit them out of the park when they come back into your brain again. And then we practice, practice that. But uh, I'm probably telling you a thousand times more than you wanted to to know. But I love your your <laughs> questions because they're they're so uh, right on uh, on the most important areas. But it it does make me think that putting them in a position whereby if they came up again in the future, they have the tool there, and you spend the time with them in some ways practicing how they would communicate or practicing how they would think and whether it's yeah. self-talk or or, right. or otherwise it's something that is like right you've got it semi nailed down yeah. in the session right. when yeah. things happen in the future then you can obviously pull it when when you need it yeah that's right uh-huh that's exactly it uh-huh so what kind of things would you say came under skillful You've mentioned it a couple of times and it made me think, okay, well, what are the differences then? Because if one or two words said in the wrong order at the wrong time can make or break a conflict, a conversation, a marriage, some kind of communication between us a lot as people, right? Very often we get things wrong without realizing and we have to backtrack sometimes and some people don't. I found that my ability to backtrack and say to someone, look, I may have this wrong, but this is what I think is going on. Let me know if I'm wrong, where the holes are, when am I not seeing things? And mm -hmm. it helps me paint a better picture. I found that me seeing things as a beginner, seeing things as something that, look, this is just the way that I see it. I'm probably wrong. I think if I go in with that, nine times out of 10, the other person will say, no, no, you're pretty much there. It's just this and this that is probably different for the way I see things. And then that then helps me. It's almost like going in with, look, I am probably wrong here, is what I, I found works best for me. Yeah, but I agree. That's it, beautiful. It's so hard to do it sometimes. I don't know if you've had this as well, yourself in your own life as well, is that the more experience you have at getting things right in a way, that is something that pecks your brain a little bit because you've got to be more open to being wrong the more used to being right you become. It's like you've got this bias towards what's worked before so much so you've got to pull the other way even more. Like you've got to dive into this. Everything I think is wrong, even though it's worked a thousand times before. Yeah, uh, I love your your humility. And, and I think that, you know, everything is a two-edged sword. Humility, your kind of humility is very powerful and brings you closer to people and is a gift that I think other people probably deeply appreciate. But then 
even humility can be self-effacing and, and 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 too much. So so these things are a matter of practice. And so to answer your question, a, a lot of practice is necessary to to get good at these things. And and I have practice that people can do on paper to learn the five secrets of effective communication, as well as practice you can do with another person. Now, what the way I do it in my, I, I have a weekly training uh, class at Stanford. And if there's any therapist listening, you know, you'd be welcome to attend. We have actually two free psychotherapy training groups for therapists from around the world every week. And you can get unlimited, if you like what I'm saying, you can get unlimited free psychotherapy training. But <laughs> we, we, we do a thing, uh, and we've been doing it the last couple of weeks, where we break into to dyads. I have them. We might have 50 people on a Tuesday night, and, and we break them into small groups and practice. And then one of them would, would play the role of the, uh, say, a difficult patient, or it could be your spouse or whatever, and, and says something to you that the therapist finds hard to respond to. Like I, we, we can, I can show you how it works right now, or like, yeah, give, sure. give me a critical statement, maybe that somebody's said to you, or you can imagine that somebody might say to their, to their therapist. Off the top of my head, it's probably things along the lines of you never listen. You never yeah. listen to what I'm thinking, even though it's, probably yeah. something they don't communicate themselves but they probably start with you don't understand yeah 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 uh, you 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 don't understand and and uh, sh should we do that in the context of uh, someone saying that to their therapist or or someone to to their spouse Maybe probably can... like spouse or like maybe even a close friend to so someone that they okay. they've got sure. this like kind of deep connection with sure uh, so uh, let let's do a role play, and we'll then we'll do a role reversal. But why, why don't I be the friend, and then you can uh, be yourself, sure. and I'll make this statement, and then you can respond, and then we can both give you a grade A, B, C, D, and here's what you did right, and here's what didn't work, and then we can do a role reversal and see if we can improve on it. And and the the goal here is just to illustrate one of many exercises that people can do if they want to learn what I call the five secrets of effective communication. Let's do it. Uh, okay. Uh, well, Michael, uh, you know, I, I just want to tell you, you, you just don't understand how I feel. What parts of it don't I understand? Help me, help me understand a bit better. Okay. Now, um, what what grade do you give yourself for that? I think I'd probably say it was about a six. And the reason why I say six is they might not necessarily know themselves where they can help them. They're not sure what they want and not sure what they need. But whatever it is, I still don't know. So it's almost like by trying to ask, you put pressure on them to know what it is beforehand sometimes they don't so they need help understanding what it is that they want or need if that makes sense right. so you gave yourself a grade of six out of ten is is that what you did so you, i think yeah. you said six six okay yeah. uh yeah okay i'll use the zero to ten well i i would uh, give give you like an eight out of ten on that i i thought okay. it was really really excellent 
uh, because you were humble, you used inquiry, which is one of the five secrets of, of effective communication. And it was also kind of very short and gave the other person, uh, you know, a lot of room to, to, to tell you. Um, th there are, I, I can sh show you some things that, that might, might enhance it. it, it it's probably just good, good the way it was, but for, sure. for the, the first of the five secrets is called the disarming technique. And that's finding truth in what the other person uh, said. And, uh, uh, and 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 so the way you might do that is uh, l let's say that you're aware that there's been some tension in our in our interaction uh, and and that's why I said you don't understand how I feel you you, you the disarming technique might might open up with something like that uh, you, you know David I we're on the same page there I, I think I'm I haven't been doing a good job of of understanding how you're you're thinking and feeling. Um, that 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 that's a nice uh, thing that people people like to hear, um, and clearly uh, puts you on, on the same team. And then there's something called thought empathy and feeling empathy. You, you can ask yourself, uh, you know, you're. Thought empathy, re repeating their their words. You're you're saying that that uh, I I I don't understand how you're how you're thinking and feeling, and I can imagine that might be kind of frustrating for you. Uh, and I, I'd love to love to hear more what's what, what's going on. You know what what I haven't been getting because I've sensed that also. I'm not getting something really important that you're thinking and feeling. And also, you know, is this something I do to you a lot or, you know, and how, how, how is that for you right now? Are you feeling frustrated or, or angry? Uh, I really want to hear what you have to say. And, and, and these are just embellishments on your excellent response. If you're looking to make it even better, you could do stri uh, some stroking too, like like the um, you did the inquiry part beautifully. Uh, the uh, the I feel statement could be I you know I I feel you know bad that I haven't done a good job of understanding you because you know you're one of my best friends and uh, uh, I'd love to hear hear more about that and you know when I when I miss the boat uh, I can imagine that that's uh, that's kind of awkward for you. It's kind of awkward for me too, but let, let, let's talk this out and maybe we'll end up feeling even, even closer, uh, you know, something, yeah. something like that. Now too much of this stuff is too, too much, but some of it could, could be, uh, could really be appreciated by, by the other person. Do you find uh, it goes down? Well, let, let, let's say you try to empathize. So you try to, think about how they might be feeling let's say you try to put yourself in their shoes a little bit do you find that goes down well let's say you're wrong about what you think that they're feeling so when you try to say it's probably frustrating and maybe you're angry maybe they go well not really it's just a bit irritating it doesn't happen all the time but it's not frustrating because I've got used to it by now or it's something that happens quite a bit. I don't feel the same emotion that I used to. Do you ever 
get wires crossed with that? And do you have any techniques or things to help people with that? Because sometimes people have this attempt at trying to empathize where it just turns into a failure at mind reading and uh, yeah. it ends up making things worse. Yeah, well, that 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 again is one of the many uh, errors you can make, and you just want to go back and practice with the same exact thing that we that that we did. What what might they say to you? You, you gave a lot of examples j- j- just now, so give give me one of them, and we'll we'll practice responding to that one too. Okay, uh, so let's say I will probably say you probably think feeling frustrated right now maybe you feel like i'm not paying attention or giving you the attention that you deserve and they will say well not really because we spend some time together but we just have moments where we butt heads and i feel like we get our wires crossed in those individual moments okay great uh, and now be michael and respond to that statement I probably say that. Um, well, I appreciate that maybe it isn't about the the attention and the love side of things. It was, it's good for me to know that you do still feel loved. It's not a massive issue, but it's something that I need to to work on with you. And I'm open to doing that. I actually want to figure out how I can make this better. I'd be curious as to how you would picture it looking do you want me to ask more questions do you want me to maybe not be as distracted as i I usually am what would you like to happen how would you like this to go so what what grade do you give yourself on that i'd probably say similar to what you said before eight i'm probably hitting a bit lower than what you would say so i'll probably say eight again Eight. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was really excellent, um, and uh, the the person gave gave you a, a really good uh, thing that that it might be nice to summarize with thought empathy, uh, to to say something along the lines of you're you're saying it's not I'm not really uh, you know failing you in a big way, but but sometimes we get our our wires crossed. And um, uh, and and I, I really appreciate your your, your telling me that, uh, and and it sounds like that's been been happening just just recently or even now. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, <clears throat> I really want to hear about that because uh, uh, I, I just I think the world of you, and uh, and I just. Just love love to hear where I'm sometimes mi- missing the boat a little bit. Can 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 you tell me more? I'm I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear what you have to say. How's that? Yeah, I think having the willingness to see where you're wrong as well is actually quite important, and it it does actually make me think. Trying to position it in a way that makes them still feel good in the conversation can be quite right. helpful. Like you don't want to put the person down for thinking right. the way that they think or feeling the way that they feel, but then you've got to almost respect yourself in a way, because otherwise it becomes too downgrading and too like, you know, it's an open book, hit me with everything that you've got, might not do you so well to follow that to its conclusion because you might not like the outcome either um is it a way of making things more mutually beneficial so that maybe you you might be open to changing and improving but then is there a way of inviting the other person to 
the potential for the same thing in the same conversation. Almost like, uh, look, I have missed the boat. I have dropped the ball with this. I'm open to hearing how we can improve or get better. Would you be open to the same if I shared where I think maybe we, we could both work together? try to improve the relationship and the communication that we have is that something you can do in one conversation or is this like uh let's focus on my dropping the ball should we say then further on down the line maybe if things don't improve you can then potentially bring up something which they'd be open to doing hopefully if you took the first leap is there a lot of value in going first with this yes i think there's tremendous value in going first uh and uh, and timing is is important. L- let let's say for example, uh, and, and by the way, I I think you've been working at this type of thing, I suspect for for a long time, and and it really shows. I I love your interpersonal style, your warmth, your humility. If we had more of that going around, we would have so many <laughs> wars and so much hatred. It's mushrooming right now in the world. It seems to me. But let's say the other person is 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 angry with, with you and more aggressive than some of the examples that that, that we've we, we've given. Um, it, it, you you might first want to to see the world through their eyes and disarm them and and give them kind of their day in court, and then later on which could be five minutes later or a day later or something, and they're really feeling safe and close, then you can share some of how, how you've been feeling. I, I can give you an example of the worst thing a patient ever said to me. Go for it. Um, I, I was w- working with a woman who had a pretty severe type of, of depression, and she tended to blame uh, other people for, for things. And uh, and her, her depression had been very intense from from childhood on, and, uh, uh, it, it, and you know she people had not been successful in helping her with with medications or psychotherapy or, or whatever. And I was really uh, giving a lot of myself to her, and but she, she was just always criticizing everybody. And uh, I even had her husband join us for some of the sessions so she'd feel safer. And one one day she, she said to me, Dr. Burns, I just want you to know that the therapy you're, you're providing is, is worse than the incest I endured as a child. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was just devastated and, uh, and angry. I didn't show my anger but I, I i couldn't believe my ears and i managed to make it to the end of the session but i was just fuming and you you might yeah. think well a psychiatrist uh, shouldn't re- respond that way but psychiatrists psychologists are real human beings and we we do have feelings and have to to deal with them and uh that weekend i was jogging around Haverford College in, in Bryn Mawr, uh, which, Pennsylvania, which is close to where we lived. I was still at, at Penn at, at that time. And, um, and, and and while I was jogging, a friend used to jog with me and we'd talk about our difficult cases, and but he couldn't come. So I was just 
alone and and I was thinking, now, David, you've got to find truth in what she said, the disarming technique. And then I would say, to, shout out, while I was jogging, I would shout out, there is no truth in what she said. I've been working harder for her than any patient I've, I've ever had. And this is totally unfair. It's totally wrong. And this is yeah. how people feel when you're in, in a conflict. And then I would say to myself, oh, yes, David, but you've said there's always truth in criticism. And that if you find the truth and tell it to the person, they won't believe it anymore. That, that's called the law of opposites. If you agree with some preposterous criticism, the person will stop believing it. But if you defend yourself, they'll keep believing it. It's a law of opposites. So it finally it dawned on me after about three miles what she was trying to say. It hit me like lightning. And then I said, oh, that's why she said that. And then when I saw her the next week, I, I said, let's call her, uh, say, Sarah, just to give her a fake name. I, I, I want you to know that last week when you said that the therapy uh, was as uh, horrible for you as the incest that you endured as a child, it was pretty devastating to me. And I felt hurt and angry uh, because I... I, I, I have a lot of respect for you and have been appreciated the chance to work with you, but I've, I feel like I've, I've given more to you almost than any any patient. And it, 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 it felt really unfair and I couldn't understand what you were saying. And on the weekend I was jogging, I was trying to figure it out and then it, it hit me and, and, uh, and I felt pretty ashamed when I saw what you meant. And, and and I'm not sure I'm right, but let me tell you what conclusion th that I came to, and that that uh, you know I've I've developed all these techniques to crush the thoughts that cause depression, and and I've been pushing you to do your homework, psychotherapy homework, and and, and to learn these techniques, and I think I've lost sight of you in the process. I've been so focused on techniques that I haven't really addressed your suffering and what, what this is, feels like and what, how awful your life has been and how lonely you must be feeling, how angry and enraged uh, you, you must be feeling at, at the world, at everybody, and even at, at me. And when I saw that, I, I felt uh, ashamed and sad, but I also got very excited because I thought, wow, maybe this is a chance to, to deepen our relationship. <clears throat> and so I, ju I just wanted to to tell you that and, and and see if if I'm you know way off the mark or if I if I'm understanding what what you what you were saying to me, and she uh, she started sobbing uh, uncontrollably, and uh, and and after that we started working together really really beautifully, and she did her homework and and and. And she later told me, she said, Dr. Burns, I, I want you to know that 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 moment when you said that, that that moment changed my life because you're the first person who listened, who heard what what I was trying to say. And that's what I mean by the death of the self, because I, you know, I was thought I was doing good work. I thought I was doing great work. And I and I learned that that I was doing, you know, 
crappy work. Not that there's any problem with my techniques, but I, I had failed her at the most deep human level. But the moment I acknowledged it, you know, my world changed and her world changed. That That's the type of thing I'm talking about, not tricks with words, but uh, speaking from the heart. And I don't know if that relates to the questions you've been asking, but um, that's, do, learning to do that requires two things. I had to be willing to do that. And it hurt. It wasn't it, I didn't like the feeling of, of seeing that I had screwed, screwed up. I didn't want to give up my blame and anger, yeah. mm -hmm. but it also requires a lot of skill because when you try to use the five secrets of effective communication, you can't just sit down at a piano and start playing, pop pounding on the keys. It requires a lot of practice if you want to make a beautiful type of music. And it seems to me that developing loving relationships with other human beings is a kind of music that, but it does sometimes require great skill and effort and practice as well as having your heart in the right place and, uh, and being, being willing to, to, to look at, at your own role. And for me, it's always like that because I, can be insensitive. I have a lot of creativity and I'm just so proud to create this, this new feeling good app uh, and uh, to maybe be able to help, help so many people, but I have a lot of flaws too. And sometimes I can be kind of insensitive or, or, or crabby. And every time I see that it's, uh, it, it's, it's painful for, for me. But when I share that with people with humility, it usually brings us, Closer. How do you find this links to things like self-esteem and being judgmental of yourself? Because I'd admit that I'm fairly self-judgmental. I've got high standards. I try my best to always improve, which implies that I'm looking for the thing that's missing to improve it. So yeah. I have a hard mm -hmm. time finding the good things because I'm too busy looking for the bad things so that I can improve right. on them and work on them sure. so in similar to what we've just been speaking to and speaking about before this can lead people to be quite self-judgmental and self-harsh yeah. and self-critical yeah. and all those things I'd be yeah. curious to hear how you balance things how do you okay you have to let the ego and pride go but then you might also have positive attributes and you might be good at some things and maybe letting the other person in air quotes win this conversation might actually lead to a lesser outcome because of your skills abilities and confidences and your skills as a human right the things that you're good at yeah so how do you balance all those things you've got pride ego humility confidence yeah. self-esteem trying not to be yeah. so down on yourself that you end up not doing as well at things and oh, yeah no, yeah it, it's so complicated yeah it is it, it 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 there's really these two dimensions the the you're no good dimension that's where you're blaming others and defending yourself and not listening and then the i'm no good uh, dimension that's where you're feeling depression and anxiety and that's kind of where my career started out and that's what the book feeling good is about my new book feeling great as well is how, how can you develop, not only develop self-esteem, but even get, get beyond self-esteem. And, th and that has to do with crushing 
the distorted thoughts that you have when when you're beating up on yourself, like I'm no good, I'm I'm a loser, I I, I should be better that than I am, and uh, the whole idea behind cognitive therapy, and then the new team therapy that I've developed, team cognitive therapy, team CBT, <clears throat> is many ways to. To, to crush those the, those thoughts, the depression and anxiety are the world's oldest cons because the messages you give yourself that make you feel less than or not good enough or inferior or worthless, those messages will always be distorted with like all or nothing thinking and self-blame and hidden should statements and emotional reasoning. There's, there's really 10 uh, kind of distortions that I talked about all the way back with my first book, feeling good and it's it's fair it's it's challenging but not excessively challenging to to turn people around quickly with those techniques because when you discover that the thought i'm no good isn't true that you've been fooling yourself it's the greatest experience in the world you go from feeling inadequate and worthless to feeling tremendous joy and uh uh, and that's harder than than the interpersonal dimension, which is the you're no good dimension, because that's equally distorted. But when you find out that those thoughts are wrong, it's 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 kind of kind of demoralizing. That that's that's the death of the ego because you discover you're not nearly as good as what you thought. Uh, so those are two opposites, and you have to be able to to deal with both of those technologies and 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 they're quite different the technologies for overcoming depression and anxiety that's like cognitive therapy and the new team cbt that's crushing your own distorted thoughts about yourself uh but the the interpersonal uh therapy that i talk about in my other book uh, or one of my other books feeling good together that interpersonal technology of the the five secrets of effective communication those are very different different kinds of techniques but but they can be hard to use uh if you're beating up on yourself i'll give you an example a woman came to me because she was depressed and lonely and and she said she and her husband were like like roommates and uh with no passion and uh, that he could never express his feelings and I said, well, why don't you bring him in and we'll maybe do a little marital therapy 101 and see see what's going on. And, and so I was giving them some communication training uh, and uh, uh, I would have them take turns. One would speak and the other would paraphrase and the other would speak and the first would paraphrase to get them used to, to listening to each other. But I noticed that every, t now keep in mind her complaint, my husband can't express his feelings. So she's blaming him, right? Yeah. And then I noticed that every t time that he was always trying to express his feelings, uh, just the opposite of her claim. But when whenever he would say something uh, even mildly critical, or say that he was upset about something or angry about something, uh, she would immediately kind of interrupt him and say, oh, oh I know I'm a bad wife. Uh, I think I'll, I'm going to commit suicide. And then he'd instantly shut up. 
course, and, yeah, wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, that, and and I realized that she she didn't have enough self esteem to endure intimacy, because intimacy is the capacity to hear someone's negative feelings without, you know, punishing them or blaming them or or defending. Yeah. yourself and mm -hmm. so I, I i told them that i didn't think uh, it, it, it was they were ready for for couples therapy but i would work with her individually for a while on her depression and uh, help, help her get over that loss of self-esteem and the inability to to hear criticisms which is very very common i call it the approval addiction unless you're getting approval you you, you suddenly think that you're worthless and th th that was still in the early days of cognitive therapy where it took me, you know, I think probably about 10 sessions with her. Now I see people just for, for one session, but it took me 10 sessions and got her over her depression and being so critical of herself. And then I got them back together and she was able to endure communication and they did some nice uh, couples work together. But there are those those two worlds, and if your own inner dialogue is so intense, it might make it very difficult to use the five secrets of communication in a conflict with other people. And I might say that it's not just the general public that have severe problems, both with mood and anxiety, as well as intimacy and, and getting close to others, but the therapists in my training groups at Stanford and the workshops I've given around the United States have all exactly the same problems that, that our patients have, you know, of feeling I'm not good enough. And, and uh, so a part, lot of what I do in my teaching of mental health professionals, what we're going to be doing, in fact, this coming Tuesday is we're working with a young mental health professional who's terrified before her sessions uh, thinking she, she's not, not good enough. And, uh, and how, help her to get back to to self-esteem and self-confidence so she can not only enjoy her practice better but but bring a, a more powerful and deeper message to her patients to tell them you know i i know what you're experiencing because i've experienced that myself and i know how to show you the way out of the woods and to get back to joy and self-esteem uh, but uh, yeah i mean you all of your questions seem to me to show a very profound knowledge of, you know, the kind of things that I work with too. And I can see <laughs> the, that you've, you've been very effective in, you know, working on yourself and trying to learn and grow and, and a great admiration for you. It has been very, very difficult. And the reason why I say that it has is as I said, I think I mentioned it before, that the better you get at something, you've actually got to pull harder the other way to humble yourself and to be open to the possibility of being wrong even more so when yeah. you're often right or you're often more effective yeah. than you would otherwise be. The more effective you get, the more helpful you get, the more beneficial you become to other people and yourself. You still have to have that voice that says but you don't know everything you're yeah. not you're not god right you don't know everything you're not psychic you're not a mind reader just because you can yeah. read patterns better than you used to doesn't mean that's all inclusive of everything that will ever happen in your entire life is you need to be almost more open 
the more confident you become because yeah. your natural tendency is to lean the other way with absolutely everything. So yeah. the way I picture it and the way I try to think about it as often as I can is I've got more confident and more clear on the way that I think and the way that I feel and some of the things that I know to be true currently. But if anyone can convince me otherwise, then they've convinced me otherwise. So I don't just believe things because someone says them, but if someone can lay something out for me, I go, okay, let's yeah. let, let's go with that. That's perfectly all right. But it's actually a question that I was going to mention to yourself, David, is the modern world is actually completely pulling us in the opposite direction of everything that we've been speaking about and talking about, whether most of our communication is virtual instead of in person, whether we're judging people based on their highlight reels versus what's really going on for people it's becoming harder and harder to do the things that we've been speaking about today. Is there anything that you found work the best in this modern world? Because before in the internet, before social media, before we spend more time on our phones and technology than without our phones and technology, it's becoming even harder to do. And yet everyone is becoming so clear in the echo chambers that they've created for themselves. They've actually got very, very strong held beliefs and very, very things that they know to be true based on the little room that they spend their time in. I've got quite good at pulling the other way more, the more confirmation bias I get and the more confident I get. I've gotten quite good at really yanking the chain the other way. Some people don't necessarily have that as a tool that they can use as a, I know everything in my own little world, but if anyone can convince me otherwise, then my view of the world has changed. Some people don't necessarily have that. How would you suggest people try to feel good in the modern world and navigate this thing, which has become so much more complicated, confusing, and yet we need to know how to do it, David. So could you lay it all out for us? Well, sure. I mean, uh, I'm not trying to change the world, but I, what you say about the world is is correct in terms of echo chambers and getting more biased in, in, in our thinking. But I, I, my goal is to help people who, who want help. That, that's that's a, a bit more limited goal, but I'm also disturbed as you are by the direction that the, that the world seems to, to be going in. And I feel fearful. And, and as my wife, who's the brains in our family, we feel a little fearful for the future of the human race right now with so many people uh, uh, getting into such, uh, you know, hatred patterns and, and so much self-destruction going on with the human race. And uh, we're fearful of where it will end up. I can tell you, you know, that when I work with people, though, it's it's easier than it's ever been be, because of the new techniques that we've developed. If a person comes to me for, with a problem of depression or anxiety or whatever, uh, in the old days, it was, uh, you know, months that uh, of treatment would, would be required at best if he, even if they, they you know, could eventually recover. It took a long time. And now we have very fast acting techniques. And uh, 
my my website is feelinggood.com and it's loaded with free resources like our app is totally free right now uh, at some point we're going to have to <clears throat> get a business model and, and 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 charge for it but even when we do that we'll, we'll be giving it away for free for anyone who, who can't afford it. And it'll probably be very inexpensive at any rate, but that's the way if, if there are listeners, they could go to feelinggood.com right now and sign up for, for a beta test. And uh, the, the results are extremely promising for people with depression and anxiety, or they could pick up my first book, Feeling Good, which you can get for you know just a couple of dollars used on, on Amazon. And uh, that that you know that high percentage of people who just read that book and do the exercises and uh, recover quickly from depression and anxiety. And then my website, there's free depression class, free anxiety class, my my weekly feeling good podcast. We we're gonna we're approaching six million downloads, and I get emails daily from people say, "Oh, I, I'm cured because of your feeling good podcast." So, and, and I ha I've never charged anyone for therapy in the last uh, thirty years. I just, I always work for free. Um, so the, you know that that's kind of kind of my my calling. But I can tell you that for myself, you know, as I mentioned, I'll be eighty in in a, in a few weeks, and uh, I, I'm more aware of my errors and and failures uh, than ever before in, in my life. I think you were talking about that that aspect. And the computer and, and the beta test actually helped me because you see, when we create a new version of our app, we, we modify it constantly, trying to make it more and more powerful every time we do a new beta test. And what we find out is always unexpected. Things that I thought users would love, they hate. And things I thought they'd hate, they loved. <laughs> and so I'm always learning that that I'm wrong. And it's kind of fun, you know, to yeah. to, to find out. Gosh, Dave, you you don't know hardly anything. Everyone thinks you're some kind of <laughs> big expert. You're really more of a fool than anything. But uh, that's one thing. And then I, I do, you asked about research. You see, I'm doing outcome research. Massive, I do about 20 hours every weekend of uh, data modeling with data from our app. And I can test hypotheses just, just like that. Um, and the computer tells me, I, I would say 95% of the time, the computer tells me my, my thinking is off. It puts me down constantly. And I've gotten kind of used to it. <laughs> yeah. and, but it also tries to hint to me uh, See, I'm trying to model human change. What 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 is necessary for human beings to change their thinking and get back to self-esteem? Because that's the basic science goal of our app. The clinical goal is to cure the people who come and use it. The basic science goal is how is the app doing this? And and it's and it's really fun because because when they when when the the I use something called structural equation modeling, which is a, a really fantastic technique for getting at cause and effect relationships and when the computer shoots me down it tries to give me hints as to what what i'm missing and it often takes a day or two to figure it out and I, oh that's what the computer was trying to tell me and then i change the model and all of a sudden things come together but on all levels on personal levels i you know i just find that i fail constantly 
and uh, in every in every area of my life, and and you you kind of get get used to it and becomes comes a, a way of life because failure is not a negative thing. Uh, fa- failure in, in therapy, for example, like with that woman I gave the example, that was the key to our success. It wasn't the fact that I'd failed her, but w- once I acknowledged it then it turned into its opposite and it trans- transformed her, her, her life but 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 you're you're right that there's you know the older i get i i, I fail on all kinds of of, of levels uh you know i i go out jogging uh every day i call it slogging because i've gotten so slow <laughs> and i used to take great pride and you know catching up with people and passing them and now you know an elderly 90 year old woman hobbling with a cane when zooming past me <laughs> and, and then i'm out running really really fast and the neighbors say oh dr burns good for you i saw you out walking yesterday and i said i'm thinking i wasn't walking damn it i was jogging damn fast <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know you you kind of get used to it and uh and i've got a cat that we adopted from the humane society she was seven years old when we adopted her her, her owner died and, and my wife thought she looked really pretty so we we adopted her and we've fallen in love with yeah. her yeah. and when i pet her she gets on my lap and she looks up at me with pure love and she purrs so loud, and and I think, wow, the, the, this this is something that makes life meaningful. And she she doesn't mind, you know, my flaws and failures, uh, and uh, and and so I, I've learned a lot from from cats. Uh, we we were often adopting them, or some injured cat will come to our door, or something. We we adopt them, but. Uh, they really helped me see that you don't have to be special to to have joy because our little sweetie pie, our, our new cat, our elderly new cat, she, she's not special. She's just an ordinary cat. And I screw up all the time. But when we hang out together doing simple things, the, the heavens open up. And uh, that that's kind of kind of a message that I'm trying to get across to people my clinical work and my books and my and the app that uh, uh, you, you don't have to be special that the problem isn't that you're not good enough the problem is that you're telling yourself that you're not good enough and believing that you're not that you're not good enough and you're creating a kind of inner hell for yourself you're creating your own emotional reality and there are new tools that can show you how to stop doing that and get back to a, a simple joy and and daily living if if that's something that you'd be be open to well i'll put links to the books and the app in the show notes for the episode david it's been really fascinating to have you on the show and, and have this conversation just before we get in to the final couple of questions i would be really curious to hear given that you'll be 80 slightly over 80 when the episode goes out as someone that has a great deal more life experience than myself what would be some of the biggest lessons that you would share of all the things that you've overcame experiences that you've had life that you've lived 
what would you tell someone that was listening that was younger than you next generation kind of thing what advice would you give to someone like that well it's is kind of hum, uh, hum, humble advice uh, that and probably seem nonsensical to people but but if when you're upset to take a piece of paper and a pencil and write down what you're telling yourself when when you're depressed or anxious what what are those negative messages and people will not do this they'll fight this oh i don't want to do that that won't help i don't need to do that but that can be remarkable uh, be, because when you write down those negative thoughts, you'll suddenly see them in a different perspective and you'll find out all kinds of distortions in, in them. Uh, to just give you a, a quick example, because it won't mean anything to people without an example. But when I was learning cognitive uh, therapy uh, and I was, you know, the early, very early days, even before I started my practice, I, I would, you know, consult with Dr. Beck on patients I was stuck with, you know, during my, uh, you know, I, I had patients, I just was employed by the university as a postdoctoral research fellow. And once he told me that I had uh, handled <clears throat> handled a patient poorly, who, who was not, who was behind in payments to the clinic. And um, I got really horrified at myself. <clears throat> and I had the thought, I, I I made a mistake with this patient. I must be a terrible therapist. I, I I must be a terrible human being. I have no future as a psychiatrist. Uh, they'll, they'll probably take away my medical license. And, you know, I'll be banished from the state of Pennsylvania. Th things like that. And I I was just certain those thoughts were true. And when you're depressed, you you think about yourself in such a terrible way. And, and you're certain that you're seeing the truth about yourself for the first time. And I thought, well, I'll jog. I'll go on a six-mile run. That, that'll help get my endorphins up. And that whole endorphin theory is another harebrained fake theory, by the way. Uh, the, the exercise doesn't boot in, boost endorphins, which boost your, your mood. That's not true. Uh, but, but at any rate, the farther I jogged, the more depressed I became. And I said, David, you you are a horrible, worthless human being and it took you so long to figure this out. Uh, but face it. Then I got home and I said, why don't you write these thoughts on a piece of paper like you tell your patients to do? I said, oh, that wouldn't do any good. My thoughts are valid. And then I said, well, but your patients whine and complain and say the same thing. And then you tell them, write them down anyway. So finally, I got a piece of paper and I wrote down, I'm, I'm a terrible human being. I screwed up with this patient. I'm going to lose my license. I, ha I have no future. And then I looked at them and said, is there any all or nothing thinking here? Yes. Is this fortune telling? Yes. Are these hidden self-blame statements, hidden should statements? And I suddenly saw all of these distortions. And then I, I said, well, what could you tell yourself instead? And I said, well, maybe I could tell myself I'm young. I'm just getting started. I have the right to make mistakes. That's how you learn. You can't not make mistakes. Why don't you just go back and tell this patient you screw it up and you felt terrible and you want to talk it over and you're going to see him tomorrow. You can tell him this tomorrow morning and the next morning. And I felt immediately joy. My my depression d disappeared. And then I saw the patient the next day. I said, I screwed up last week with 
with you when we're talking about the payments and my supervisor, Dr. Beck, he, he, he told me I had screwed up and I was feeling ashamed and I just want to take another stab, stab at that. We are best session ever. He just gave me glowing praise at the end of, uh, of the session, but th that's a simple thing that I've been trying to promote my, my whole career. And the app is just, you know, a way to do that electronically, writing down your thoughts and challenging them. That, that, that can be a, a, a simple, can, can be life-changing. Sometimes you might need a therapist to help you with that. But what, what the research on, on the app shows and, and the research on my first book, Feeling Good, shows is that most people can, can do it on their own, even, even without a shrink. And so I guess that's a humble kind of message. Take a piece of paper and tune into what you're telling yourself and write them, number them, write them down and see if that changes your perspective a little bit. Thanks for sharing that, say When I talk to a dear friend like this, look what I'm telling myself. Would I say <laughs> this to another colleague who made a mistake as a resident? Would I say, oh, you screwed up. You're, you're gonna, they're going to get rid of you. You have no career, no future. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd never say those things to another human being. I and mean, yet, look what I'm telling myself. Sometimes we can definitely be worse to ourselves than we would ever be to yeah. anybody else. And I think in some ways, just speaking my, my own mind as well, is that it's because we can get away with it, I found, that there's not a whole lot of negative consequences to telling yourself something awful until, generally speaking, it's probably too late by the time it actually starts impacting you physically and the rest of your, your life. It always starts inside your head, but for the most part, once it gets to the point where it's manifesting itself as actions and thoughts and the way that you treat other people, by then it's been inside your head for longer than perhaps you might realize. Yeah, often since childhood, people have been beating up on themselves and getting over that is the greatest experience I think a human being can have. David, it's been fantastic to have you as a guest. Are you on social media at all? If people wanted to reach out to you, how can people do that? Well, I don't do social media. My podcasts go out on Facebook and quite a few different different locations. Uh but uh, you can always, uh, you know, write write to me uh, from 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 uh, I'm David at feelinggood.com or or just go to my my website and there's an awful lot of stuff I've created for people there, uh, especially if 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 you're looking for for help, you know, I I'm I'm not trying to encourage too many emails because so, I I'm actually right now something like. 15,000 emails behind <laughs> and it's, uh, wow. it's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming, but there's a lot of resources for, for, for people uh, at feelinggood.com at, at my website. And if, if, especially if you're lo looking for, for help and, but anyway, thank you so much. And hello to all the people of uh, England who, who I love and your reach, which probably extends well beyond England, it's you're you're just fantastic in in my opinion, and I, I just I love the interview. I love I, lo I love the, what what you've evolved into a, just a tremendous uh, humble and and very wise human being. 
thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. David, I really appreciate the compliment, and I look forward to keeping in touch. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and they get the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.